welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk. So this week is guest week and this week on the podcast I have my wonderful friend Becca who's come on the podcast to share with you her birth story. This season I really wanted, or this series, I really wanted to share with you a lot more birth stories. When I was pregnant I took a lot of comfort in hearing other people's birth stories and also gaining knowledge. Now Becca is a paediatric doctor and she has a whole lot of knowledge which can actually be challenging to manage when it comes down to your own birth and your own pregnancy. So this is such an interesting podcast to listen to. So without further ado, I'm going to go straight into the podcast with Becca. I will catch up with you guys at the end. We are still in France and I have a few bits and pieces to share with you. I also just want to quickly warn you that this podcast is also full of our babies. So Becca's baby Ollie is with us and also Amandine is with me. So at some points, it's a little bit loud with their crying, but it does pass, I promise. This week I am here with Becca. So Becca is also one of my prenatal yoga pals and Becca had Ollie, what, four or five days before Amandine? No, a week? Yeah, um, something like that? I think about a week before, wasn't it? 27th of August. Oh yes, okay, about a week before. And she is here to share her birth story and pregnancy. So let's start, first of all, let's start with your job because... You know a lot more than most. <laughs> Too much knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah, so I'm a um, paediatric doctor. Um, and so I'm what's called a registrar, so I'm kind of halfway through my training. And as part of that, you um, get to go to a lot of deliveries. Hey! <laughs> so, <that's> <laughs> um, so yeah, I've seen a fair share of... Deliveries that are going wrong or have gone wrong or the mum is ill or the baby's ill, you know, the, the bad end of the spectrum because we uh, don't get called to that many, well we don't get called to ones that are completely fine. We obviously get called to a lot so where it's just little things, you know, they're very cautious, have quite a low threshold for asking a paediatrician to be there but unfortunately, or fortunately, the year, sort of the nine months of the year before I had Ollie... I was working in a, what's called a tertiary neonatal hospital, so where all the really premature, really sick babies would be in, (laughs) he's waving at him, in neonatal intensive care. So I think that kind of heightened my anxiety about, you know, the potential things that could go wrong in pregnancy, or I was particularly anxious about labour, and I remember when I found out I was pregnant saying to Adam... I want an elective section. There's no way, it's too dangerous. Um, and then I spent my whole pregnancy from that point onwards okay. trying to, like, almost, you know, give myself CBT and reroute my thinking about it can be normal and it can be fine and, you know, not to, to get so stressed about it and so anxious because I didn't want it to, that to ruin our pregnancy or our delivery. Did you find yourself <laughs> successful in that? Um, I think definitely to an extent, almost too much, if that makes sense. So I did a lot of yoga and meditation and Way. I uh, <laughs> used, um, I got quite into hypnobirthing. So Brilliant. I did Siobhan's online course. Yeah. Found it really helpful. I did find um, my husband didn't engage that well. 
<laughs> My man, I'm not alone. I mean, I know it's, it is pretty scientific, but um, he almost struggled with her, you know, her trying to like break things down to a bit more of a simplistic way of thinking. For him, he was like, well, that's not strictly true, is it? Like, he couldn't quite get his head around how, how it was helpful. I think afterwards he was like, oh yeah, maybe... Maybe it would have been a bit more helpful if I'd um, <laughs> engaged with it a bit more. Because actually, as much as I did, when it came down to it, it's really hard to like focus and think and remember when you're in labour. Because it's just like nothing you've really experienced before. Yeah. And no matter how much you practice, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> translate to how you feel at the time. No. So, um, what was your question? Oh, yes, did I manage to get over I think the problem was I then spent so much time trying to um, rewire my anxiety and thought process that when things then didn't go completely naturally, I, I found that really hard to deal with. And I was really, like, worried and upset about my delivery. At the time and quite a while afterwards, I'm absolutely fine about it now you know, that I'm, I feel like it was so long ago, <laughs> seven months ago. And I've, I've re-remembered that actually at the end of the day, my baby's healthy, I'm healthy, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, it did take me a little while to sort of come to terms with that again. Even though at the beginning of the pregnancy, I would have completely understood that. I almost like lost way with that a little bit, I think. If that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you didn't have the easiest pregnancy. I mean, either. in many ways, I did. You know, I I never had any morning sickness. Uh, did you I, have nausea? No, I didn't. Think. Did you not? Nothing. I remember being in our yoga classes, and so you were all like, "Oh my god, I'm so sick," and just sitting there quietly, being like, uh, "I'm eating so much. <laughs> I don't feel sick at all." My, the only thing I had was tiredness, mm. but I think part of that was, you know, I was commuting, I was doing a really busy job, yeah. so I was doing night shifts, yeah. uh, and that on top of first trimester wasn't great, but mm. actually, my pregnancy was fine. The only thing that we had was, Ollie was breech, yeah. stubbornly breech. Yeah. <laughs> I think I tried, I tried everything I researched that I could find, there was lots of was it you on the ironing board? Yeah, upside it down on the ironing board um, for hours. I tried moxibustion. I think that's how you say it. Sorry. <laughs> so that's, we have both babies again here for this recording. So moxibustion is um, like a Chinese... Um, I'll, I'll get it wrong if I try and explain it exactly, but essentially you kind of burn herbs um, around your, t- your little toes. <laughs> And I had to get Adam to do it. And, you know, like, if you think hypnobirthing was bad, he was just like, this is ridiculous. But I did it. I did it for 10 days. I was like, I've got nothing to lose. It's not expensive. But it didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> and in the end, um, so the options were wait and see. You might turn around or uh, have an elective suction or try something called an ECV, which is... It's called external cavallic version, where essentially they push the baby round into the right position. Um, and being a doctor, I did quite a lot of research about this. Uh, and got a bit anxious about it, because generally, I think there's about a... I can't quite remember now, is it like a 40 or 50% success rate? A 1% risk of something 
an emergency happening and needing an emergency section or something at the time. But then when I spoke to the obstetrician, he's like, it's never happened to me. I've never seen it. Um, you're in hospital, you're monitored. Uh, and I suddenly couldn't cope with the idea of an elective section. Like, all of a sudden I was like, no, I've geared up for so long. Like, I want to try. I want, I want it to be as natural as possible. I'm not ready to... I couldn't bear the idea that I would know a date and a time and I'd be there the night before being like, you know, I'm going to have a baby tomorrow. I just, it just threw me completely, weirdly. <laughs> Becca is um, playing puppeteer with an elephant. Ollie's <laughs> uh, loving it. I think it's a bit difficult because I was an elective section for breach. Okay. So my mum was a bit like, why don't you just have an elective section? Like she, could, she couldn't quite understand why I was so set on trying to do it au natural yeah yeah <laughs> um and then um i mean kind of giving the end of the story but ultimately i ended up having a <laughs> but an emergency one and i think that also brought up a lot of you know i was thinking oh my god if i just had an elective section a week ago i wouldn't be in this situation have i put my baby's life at risk and all of those kind of you know, things that you worry about. But So talk us through your labour. How did you get to having that in the end? Yeah, so, um, so I must have, I had the, I had the ECV to turn around at 36, yeah, 36, 37 weeks. It was very weird, but it was fine. I mean, I wouldn't say it's was fine. Was it painful? Yes, I, yeah, it was actually. They give you a little injection to relax the muscles of your uterus. Um, and then they kind of tip you upside down, oh, wow. <laughs> slightly, just to help with the the movement round. And there was only one point um, where it was really painful, and I was like, I, I was almost going to ask him to stop, but when I looked down, uh, Ollie was completely transverse, like you could oh see God. that he was sideways, and I was like, well, no, can't, no, stop can't leave him there. <laughs> and then after that point, it was fine. But actually, I think I used my hypnobirthing uh, sort of breathing for that yeah. more, more successfully than <laughs> I did in labour. It really helped. Yeah, so I, I was totally not expecting him to come on time, just because all of my friends and I feel like most of the deliveries I've gone to are late. Yeah. So I, I had a friend staying the weekend of my due date. Adam was working 13-hour day shifts. Uh, and I was making dinner about eight o'clock and got my first contraction the day before his due date, so the Saturday evening. Thank goodness. And um, a few of my friends through NCT and stuff had said, oh, you know, it was like, I've got some twinges, it came and went, but I knew, like, first one, I was like, oh, right, that was a contraction. Uh, oh, God. Uh, so I sort of said to my friend, oh, it might all settle, it might settle down, let's just eat dinner. And uh, then Adam got home, and within an hour, I was like, "I'm really sorry, you have to leave. Like, I'm definitely in labour. You can't, <laughs> you can't stay." And she was really good about it. Her mum came and picked her up because luckily they weren't too far away. Um, and all of this stuff about lying on the sofa, watching Netflix, you know, just relax through it. Like, it's absolute rubbish for me. Yeah, just, me too. <laughs> like, by two hours after it started, I was on all fours, like really having to breathe through every contraction, and they were like quite hard and fast quite quick but um they'd swing between I'd have like a run of every two minutes and then it would go to every 15 okay um and I didn't phone straight away I did all of the like 
regular paracetamol. I think I had about four bars. <laughs> Put the tens machine on. I made Adam sleep because I was like, this could, you know, it started so late at night that I was just like, you've got to sleep because it's not going to happen overnight. One yeah. of us has got to have some rest. Oh, well done. Um, Everyone thinks I'm mad when I made Hendrik go to sleep. So no, no, I'm really no. happy to hear I that you did thought, as well. I didn't think I'd be like that because a lot of my friends had said they made their partner sleep. But actually at the time I was like, you, you, you just need sleep. Yeah. Um, and, but by about six or seven in the morning, I was like, I, even with the TENS machine on max, I was beginning to find it really hard. Um, and so we fo- I phoned Labour Ward. And they were really nice, but they were just like, oh, it sounds like you're doing really well, well done. You haven't had a contraction whilst you've been a fake. Just stay at home, stay at home a bit longer. And I was like, okay. And then I think I phoned them again about nine o'clock. Um, and they're like, and again, my contractions stopped when I phoned them. Uh, and they're like, oh, just, you know, you're doing really well. Just stay at home a bit longer. And by midday, I was vomiting and they were really regular. So I made Adam phone. <laughs> and he was like, oh. I think she needs to come in now. <laughs> so um, he drove me to hospital, which is only about five minutes away. I remember before talking to you about the fact that I was going to walk to yes, hospital. Yes, I remember that too. I mean, what was I thinking? I couldn't. I could barely walk. He parked in front of the hospital, and it's what one flight of stairs. Yeah. It took me, I don't know, twenty minutes because I kept having to stop, and like I was that woman leaning against the wall, like breathing into the contraction, and being like, "Okay, we can do five more steps." Um, and thank God when I got there, they examined me and they said I was four centimetres and I just burst into tears because I was so worried that they were going to say go home again because I just, yeah, it was very intense. Um, and they got us in the bath, which was, that was good to an extent, but... Were you in the maternity-led, uh, midwife? Yeah, midwife yeah, so I was, um, despite the ECV, I was low risk, so I got to go in there and I was bath already, which was good. Um, and it was really quiet when we were there. Yeah, like me, too. me and one other lady, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it turns out, he was OP, so back to back. Uh, so it's hard because I've got nothing to compare it to you, but I thought I had a relatively high pain threshold. Uh, but I, it was just so intense. I like the gas and air was good. The bath was good, but I was having to get Adam to like put his full weight into my lower back every time. Yeah. Uh, and I think so. We got to about five or six in the afternoon, and I hadn't slept since six a.m. the previous morning. Oof. And I was just like, I'm so tired. Um, and whilst I hadn't, I'd sort of we discussed it before because just to complicate matters, my husband's an anaesthetist. <laughs> <laughs> so we discussed about, you know, at what point would I, you know, want him to help me make the decision about an epidural. And he very much feels like there's no point doing it when you're like nine, ten centimetres because you get a lot of the risk with minimal benefit is his way of thinking about it. So I sort of said to him, I'm getting really tired this is really, I'm really beginning to feel like I need something else to, because even with all the breathing, I was really struggling. And I think it was psychological at that point as well, because I thought, depending on how much, if I haven't progressed very much, this could go on for, what, another 10, 12 hours? Yeah. And when she examined me, and oh my God, getting out the, the I don't know if you had to get out of the pool much, but it was, that was out. like the worst point 
getting out on those stupid little steps. <laughs> like, in between contractions, which were really regular at that point, it was horrendous. So when she examined me, I was only six centimetres, so I progressed two centimetres in, like, five, six hours. And I was just like, I just think, I just need something else. And yeah. my, But my only option was... Uh, where was I? Uh, yeah, my only option was um, to have a pethidine injection, which I didn't, I didn't really want purely from a paediatric point of view. I mean, I know lots of people have them and they work really well, but I guess I've seen quite a few babies who are quite a bit drowsy because it's been given too close to the time. In reality, it would have been fine for me, but uh, it was either that or an epidural. And either way, I can't go back in the bath. I'd have to go to labour ward. So I was like, oh, let's just... Well, I think I was like, give me both! <laughs> I want everything! Um, but the anaesthetist was free, so they like whisked me around and the epidural went straight in. And it was like a life changing yeah. moment. I mean, it took about 20 minutes to work, but almost immediately it was so much better. And I think I had, I didn't sleep, but I could rest. Oh my god, amazing. And relax and just recuperate, which I think was really good because, you know, as things then progressed, and it probably helped me in the long term. Adam snapped for a couple of hours. <laughs> I think I listened to a Harry Potter podcast, uh, not podcast, um, audio book. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but th- at that point, things kind of slowed down a bit, and apparently it's, it probably wasn't the epidural, it was just going to happen, because he was, turns out, in a funny position. So, no. the next, the midwife swap day of Vern, it was really nice, because I knew Lynn really well the next midwife and she remembered me from when I'd worked there so that was good because I was just like oh yes I know you I know you and I trust you this is all gonna be fine um when she next examined me what four or five hours later I hadn't progressed at all uh, and my contractions were kind of slowing down a little bit and so they put me on the hormone drip um and he didn't like that his heart was kind of dipping and things and she said, and but she was also struggling to pick it up on the monitor and I was being really annoying and kept swinging the monitor around <laughs> like she was like this is not your job Becca it's like I know but I need to see it <laughs> um so they ended up putting a little electrode on his head so that they could pick up the heartbeat more regularly which I was kind of secretly quite pleased about <laughs> yeah. I wanted to know exactly what was happening uh, and I could tell things weren't like quite going in the right direction and you know more and more people kept wandering in and out to look at the screen because they can see the screens in the office right and I knew that he was getting a bit distressed and I was trying to be like it's fine like don't be control freak you've got to let them do their job um, and then she examined me again and she said oh I think I can I think I can feel an eye <laughs>
I think just all the anxiety and stress that I kind of suppressed over the pregnancy suddenly was coming to the surface. So I was like, oh my God, just get him out. I just want him to be okay. Yeah. Um, so he's just like, oh, we'll take you to theatre and we'll see if we can sort of move him around. And um, I'm going to call the consultant. Like, don't panic about that. Just don't worry. We're just in case. And I was like, no one calls the consultant in unless they're worried. Um, and he came in and he was just like, nah, it's not going to work. We'll just do a C-section. Yeah. It ended up being like um, you know, an emergency C-section, but, you know, they were just all, everyone was quite relaxed, but I think because I had got so stressed by that point, I was kind of hysterical. <laughs> Which I can imagine, you went through so much, and then to go from... <laughs> 30 hours later, I ended up with a C-section. <laughs> Um, no wonder but, that was mentally yeah, difficult for you to yeah, like, come so, to terms with. I think, you know, all of that and the fact that I spent so long being like, oh, it, it, it can be fine for <laughs> some people. And then all of my kind of like worst fears kind of started unravelling a little bit. But, you know, ultimately he was absolutely fine. And he's I gorgeous. <laughs> absolutely fine. And it was the right thing for us at the time. But it did take me quite a long time to... Mm kind of get my head around that yeah yeah absolutely if there's a mum listening and she's finding herself in the same position would Mm. you have done anything differently do you I mean you you can never know what's going to happen in your birth can you so it's a really difficult question because I was always like I'm not going to have a plan I don't I don't want a birth plan I just want I want what's the right thing at the time yeah because I've seen like lots of things where people have needed intervention and it's it's what they need and sometimes in the heat of the moment people are so fixed on the idea of not having an epidural or not having a c-section that they can't they can't see the bigger picture yeah they can't you know they kind of almost without thinking about it might put their baby at risk or you know make the situation more risky than it needs to be which i know is like it's completely individual and it's impossible for anyone to sort of make that decision other than you but I think um if I'd done anything differently I would have like just re-reminded myself that it's okay if it's not in a pool and it's not straightforward it's not um completely straightforward yeah and just not give myself such a hard time about it yeah it's uh but a lot of that yeah. must have been down just to the amount of information that you knew and the yeah. amount of knowledge that you had from your job and there's nothing you can do about <laughs> that is there overload um no and also you know in those few days after having a baby your hormones are just all over the place like yeah. completely completely all over the place absolutely i mean i i think about what my next birth if we're lucky enough to have another baby what that will be like and i'm almost more nervous about it because i know more yeah and i know there's a bit of discomfort <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> And I know that there's, you know, you know, don't you? There's yeah. no more, I can be naive to this. Yeah. Like, about what's going to happen. But then, I don't know, quite a few of my friends have just had number two. And I think you're so much busier and distracted um, when you have your, if you have a second baby. Because you've got the first one to look after. Yeah. But actually, they've all just been a lot more relaxed about being pregnant. Okay. And delivery. They've also been more, more like... <gasps> The biggest stress is what we're going to do with number one when yeah. if I go into labour and he's going to look after them and they, you know they've got like six people they can call and <laughs> all of this kind of stuff. Um, 
And often, like, the second or third or whatever is an easier delivery anyway. God, my, my midwife said that to me, literally, just as I popped down on Dina, she goes, number two will be easier. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah, like, really the, cool. The okay. registrar, when I was, like, when she just finished stitching me up, kind of, like, put her head over the drain and said, good news is, you've got to ten centimetres and pushing, so, you know, with number two, you can definitely go for a, a vaginal delivery again. And I was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> having another baby right now but that's, that's so much funny. thanks for telling me <laughs> so you're the first guest i've had who i think who has had a c-section okay. how's your recovery been um it was good actually i think uh i mean i was quite fit before which i think really helped i was when i say it was good um i was surprised at how much kind of strength and fitness i lost in such a short space of time yeah and you know, I needed to take the first couple of days in hospital. Uh, I had quite a lot of morphine and stuff, which I definitely think is worthwhile. Um, because you kind of forget things like you can't crunch and you've totally lost your core. Yeah. And it is quite painful. I probably took sort of paracetamol and ibuprofen for about 10, 11 days. Yeah. Um, had a little bit of issue with my scar, but otherwise it's healed well. How about your pelvic um, floor? Have you still felt like that's been... I feel like it's been a bit affected. Um, nothing in comparison to <laughs> some people I know. Yeah. Like, I've not had any problems with incontinence at all, anything like that. Um, I was really, like, quite religious about doing pelvic floor exercises towards the end of my pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realise that even if you have a C-section, it can really affect your pelvic floor. And it definitely... It's, it's, I think it's back now, almost, yeah. but it's, but certainly those first couple of months was nowhere near as strong as it had been before. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I've been lucky in terms of overall it's not been that bad, but it's only really, yeah, only really in the last month have I felt like my core is getting back to what it was, and yeah. I felt like I can start doing, like, running and proper swimming and stuff, so... Yeah, it's, you have to give yourself time. I did a burpee the other day, and I was like, mm, not sure I'm quite there yet. But then I have been shocking at my pelvic floor. I literally only do it when I remember, and I was just saying to Charlie, I never remember. So. I used to use my squeezy app when I was oh, yeah. pregnant, and I did it loads, and then since having him, it's just... Not so much. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? I've just been, I've been rubbish from day one, actually. What's your biggest piece of advice? To pregnant mums oh out God. there about pregnancy, not labour, pregnancy. I'm going to ask you the same question for labour in a minute. Um, do your pelvic floor exercise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I think, be careful what you read. Like sometimes you can over read things and read the wrong information. And I know some people like to feel like they know everything, but ultimately, you can't. There's only so much you can prepare, and actually, sometimes. There's lots of there's certain forums and bits and pieces out there that are not helpful and are not relevant to your specific case. And that kind of goes for after you have a baby as well. Oh, God, totally. <laughs> totally. Get off Google. <laughs> Do not use Google. No. <laughs> and how about labour? I suppose just let will be... What will be, will be. And I do remember a midwife saying to me when I was pregnant that, oh, some of these women, they're, they're just doing it for a birth experience and they forget about the fact that they just need to have a healthy baby. And I think that's quite an extreme way of looking at it. And um, 
you know, not necessarily the right thing to say to everyone, but ultimately, like, you can aim to have a delivery how you want, but not to stress if things go a different way. Or you Absolutely. Need, you need different things. Absolutely. I always think that birth preferences is a nicer way of saying than a birth plan, because not everything's going to go to plan, even with the most perfect birth. But also, if things don't quite go to plan, or you feel like... Um, <laughs> there's something you need to talk to someone about just make sure you do Absolutely. I had a really good chat with the midwife a couple of days after I had Ollie and that, that was really helpful just to talk through what happened and to sort of reassure myself that nothing I did or the decisions that I made you know resulted in anything happening that shouldn't have happened yeah yeah absolutely really which of course I'm sure she said nothing <laughs> of course Oh my goodness. Okay, so a few more um, questions, but more material questions, materialistic questions. What pram do you have and do you like it? I've got the Jules Hub. <laughs> as with Emma, who got me onto Jules. <laughs> um, I really like my Jules Hub. It is quite a lightweight pram. So um, it doesn't have some of the features that say, uh, you know, like the upper baby... The bigger prams have. Um, it has got quite good big wheels. It's easy to manoeuvre one-handed. The main reason I got it is I've got a really tiny car and it had to fit in my boot. <laughs> like a noddy car. Yeah, a really <laughs> tiny car. Um, but also to fit it through my front door. We live in a Victorian terrace and a lot of the prams actually just don't fit. Yeah. Uh, but it's good because you can fold it down and have it just standing in the corner and it doesn't take up much space at all. The only things I don't like about it is because... But I suppose it's the reason it's good is the reason it's bad. But, you know, it doesn't have a big basket. Yeah. I do find the buckles a bit plasticky and sort of Fisher Price for the price that we've paid. <laughs> I think a lot of parents are like that, no matter what you do. Is there any piece of baby equipment or something that you have you just could not live without? Uh, my sling. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had a fabric sling to start off with which I loved and then moved on to the Ergo Baby when he got bigger there are other carriers available <laughs> but yeah I use it particularly Ollie was really colicky and he just got carried everywhere for months and still does and he loves it I love it it's yeah. great anything that you bought and you think oh what a waste of money um lent me like a, a baby bath type thing okay. and I just never really got on with it okay I think partly because our bathroom it's like it's really awkward to lean down so I just I used to just get in the bath with him yeah until he could sit I pretty much always me or Adam would just get in the bath with him and support him that way and it's really nice yeah. And um, really easy. Yeah. And I prefer doing that. Yeah. I think it's funny, isn't it? Our baby bath, I wouldn't be without it. Anything else you would like to share with mums-to-be, mums? Just be nice to yourself. Those first few months are really tough uh, for lots of reasons. And um, just try and spend as much time as you can with other mums and other babies because it's a real lifesaver. And it's nice to know that everyone has bad days and good days and... Chat about stuff. I mean, friends, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree with Mummy Ollie? Is it nice to see all your friends? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I have to get you back on to talk more about motherhood when we don't necessarily have our very distracting babies with us. But thank you so much for sharing. That's okay.
And there you have it. I know I would not have been able to stay as calm as Becca did through her pregnancy and through her labor, going through what she went through. I mean, to me, that sounds like one heck of an ordeal, but she just managed it like an absolute pro. Um, I'm so pleased that I got to share that podcast with you because it's very true what she said. At the end of the day, once you've been through all that, you just want to give birth to your healthy beautiful little one and have them in your arms and essentially that is the main goal right to safely birth in whatever way your baby and get them earthside in the safest possible way anyway we are in France and I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened to last week's podcast went down a treat I love sharing my travel tips with you and I also really enjoyed talking about my breastfeeding journey I know it wasn't particularly concise but thank you to all of you who messaged saying how helpful it was um, I'm so so pleased that you did find it helpful and I hope that um, you'll find these birth stories helpful too I have quite a few more coming so um, I hope you're like me and enjoy listening to them and enjoy gaining knowledge and making birth a much less scary um, thought if you are scared by the thought of birth. I mean, I know I was super, super excited, but one of the reasons behind that was because I'd listened to so many birth stories and had really enjoyed listening to them and felt prepared for anything, um, anything to be thrown my way. Back to being still in France. We are still in France. We head back soon. Um, It's been lovely. The first couple of days, super, super rainy. And now it's been beautifully sunny. And it's like 32, 33 degrees in the sunshine. And I've been trying to keep Amandine out of the sun as much as I possibly can and as cool as I possibly can because it's so warm. A little bit more of a breeze today, which makes it a little bit easier. But even though she's absolutely smothered in 50 sun cream and also uh, in the shade 90% of the time, she's still tanning. She, her little hands, she looks like she's got a wetsuit tan. Like when Hendrik gets out of the water from being here in the summer or in June or whatever, he'll have brown hands, brown neck and a brown face. <laughs> um, and Amandine has little brown hands. And when I was little, I used to be such a sun worshipper. And it's only really in the last, I don't know, maybe three years where I've really stopped lying in the sun. If I am out in the sun, it'll be because I'm out in the sun surfing or, um, I don't know, paddleboarding or teaching yoga or uh, playing tennis or something. I don't know. I actually haven't played tennis in years, but, you know, doing something active, walking, hiking, whatever. It won't be lying on a sun lounger. I I find it quite difficult to do that now. Um... And I don't really want Amandine to have the same skin that I have, I guess. Um, and I want to, yeah, I want to just try and keep her as pale as possible for the moment, and get her as covered up as I possibly can. So one of my travel tips that I have actually just shared on my Instagram today—it's Tuesday right now you'll be listening to this on Wednesday, is um, to take a giant muslin. I have one of the Etta Love muslins, and Jen was on from Etta Love's last a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and they're just brilliant so today when we were out walking we had to switch Amandine and her pram like forward facing forward facing backwards facing forward facing backwards whenever we were walking into the sun and then have the sun behind us so I then remembered I had a muslin so I put the muslin over her legs and I know it's not complete sunshade but at least it helps right and she did have sun cream on I put sun cream on her 
before we even left the house, um, actually pretty much straight after she woke up, she was covered in sun cream because also it reflects off things, doesn't it? Like she might be in the shade in the pram, but it also reflects off everything onto her, even if she's not directly in the sunlight. So hopefully I won't come back and be frowned upon by having a tanned child. Anyway, another thing that I wanted to say was weaning. My goodness. Okay, so I'm having a few ups and downs with weaning whilst we're away. Most of the time is because she's just so distracted. When we're at home, Hendrik is normally asleep when I'm giving her her breakfast. So it's just Amandine and I. It's very peaceful. It's very quiet. There's very little distractions. Pretty much only distraction is like the odd bird that flies by the window kind of thing. And then at lunchtime, again, Hendrik might be doing his own thing. Or Hendrik's quite rarely there for mealtimes. But here, especially for breakfast, or actually every single freaking meal, I'm in the kitchen and either Hendrik's mum's doing something or Hendrik's dad's passing by. And it's lovely. They will make a huge effort to interact with Amandine, but it's just not the time. <laughs> And I have to really take a big deep breath and not get frustrated because I pass her a spoon of food and she'll just fling her head one way, fling her head the other way, look around, wanting to interact with them. And then she just won't be interested at all in her food. So she's gone off breakfast massively. She's barely eating any porridge anymore. She's not really interested in anything. I made her her favourite meal, or seems to be her favourite meal at the moment, which is basically just white potatoes, sweet potatoes, kidney beans, tomatoes, rosemary, uh, kind of all mashed together and paprika and a bit of cayenne pepper she quite likes it quite spicy and or seems to anyway mix it all together and she has now been eating that but again if there are distractions she's really off and the other thing she loves oh my gosh fromage fray okay so we have fromage fray in england right we have like the really gorgeous little yeo valley pots which is supernatural fromage fray and then the french have their version of fromage fray obviously fromage fray is french but <laughs> their fromage fray tastes like philadelphia no joke i tasted i was wondering why amandine was loving it so much so i bought her these little tubs of fromage fray and i just mix it in with either some pureed fruit that I've made, some pear, some mango or some raspberries or something like that and just make a flavoured fromage fray like the Yeo Valley ones that I give her at home. And she just was eating a full bowl, so, so much yoghurt or fromage fray and I tasted it myself and it, it just, it, it's so creamy. It literally, I could spread it on a bagel and it would be Philadelphia. I would not know the difference. <laughs> is so rich um all these things are full of protein obviously um so she's getting loads of protein which is great and i'm trying to get some iron into her as well through foods but it is tricky i tell you it is tricky as is storing my milk my breast milk if you want listen to last week's podcast you'll know that i store it in jam jars and i came out here thinking yeah, I'm only going to bring two emergency Lanaso bags to put my milk in if I need to, um, because Amandine, uh, because uh, Hendrik's mum will have jam jars. No, no, she doesn't. And every time I go to like get a jam jar because it's empty and I'm going to wash it, and I'm going to keep it. It's already in the bin. So 
it's been tricky to do the whole milk thing as well and Amaldine hasn't really been wanting to take her bimor, her bottle in the evening and I've been waking up in the morning really engorged at my boobs and traveling with a baby is hard. Please go and look at my Instagram feed and you'll see I posted on traveling with a baby because so many people say to me, oh, do you feel more relaxed? You know, do you feel like you've had a bit of a relaxed time away? No, no, I don't. In fact, I'm pleased to be home so I can relax. It's wonderful. And I do stress this in my post. There is nothing better than going away with your baby and see them take in the world, all the new sights, smell, everything. It's really magical. It really is. Don't get me wrong. But (laughs) it is hard because at home you have everything where it needs to be everything sorted you got your routine going um whether that's your routine in the morning or baby's routine whatever it is you know what you're doing you know where things are you know how you're going to dress your baby to sleep you know how you're going to dress them in the day um it's easy or not easy but easy compared to being away on holiday and then you come away on holiday they have to learn where to sleep is different they wake up at different times. Maybe there's a time change. You can't really go out for dinner very easily. It's challenging, really challenging. Um, so yeah, I mean, someone messaged me saying we've just finished uh, a two weeks, I think, away in a camper van with a nine month old baby on holiday. Respect, serious respect for you. I could not do that. Definitely couldn't do that. I, yeah, no way. Um, Amandine also had her first swim in the sea, proper swim. It was damn cold and we weren't too sure whether we were doing the right thing or not, but she was loving it. I'm going to post a video at some point on my Instagram. I'm trying to just get Hendrik to come around to the fact that I'm going to post it because he doesn't think I should, but I'm going to. It's really, really cute. And Hendrik is just whizzing her around in the water and she's giggling and she loves it. And she's doing everything in the water that she normally does in swimming and splashing everything. She had her little reusable nappy on and her... um, her, uh, what's it called, like sun protection vest on, I guess, which kept her a tiny bit warmer, but it was really cold, but she loved it. And then today in the shop local, literally two minutes away from Hendrix's house, we found this rubber ring where you put their legs in and then they can hold on and they can paddle with their feet whilst they're supported in the water. So cute. In fact, I wish they did adult versions. I would very much enjoy having one. Um... But yeah, we're going to take her out in that this afternoon, so I will make sure to post some photos about that. It looks brilliant, and we're going to get one for the UK as well. It looks so much fun. On that note, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to have a big catch-up with you guys next week anyway, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I will have more to share on travelling with a nine-and-a-bit-month-old in the next podcast next week. But obviously, if you have any questions on anything at all, please pop me a message. DM on Instagram is normally good or pop me an email at mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com. As I mentioned in last week's podcast, I'm very much using the Instagram um, page as a place where you can ask questions to me and I will put them out to followers because who's better, right, than to ask mums, experienced mums and new mums and expectant mums their opinion on things. I think it's great because we've all been told varying different things from our GPs or our paediatricians and it's quite nice to get that varied view because it seems like there's not one standard answer for a lot of the things that we ask as parents and pregnant women. 
So, and everyone, not everyone has the same experience. I just, for instance, put a question out there about when do you get your periods back? I haven't got mine back. I'm nine months postpartum. Um, we would like to have another baby. I'm not saying we're trying because we're not. We're not trying right now. But um, it would be nice to know if I need to stop breastfeeding or not. So it's nice to hear about other people's experiences. And some women have already messaged back saying, I got pregnant at nine months, wasn't even trying. I was still breastfeeding. I continued to breastfeed until my baby was 15 months old, first baby, and she was pregnant. So I always find it also funny. You know, when you look for maternity clothes and when you look for um, clothes you can breastfeed in, they are always modelled on pregnant women or fake pregnant women. So women with foam bumps, which annoys me more than anything. Um, But they... uh, are assuming you're breastfeeding whilst pregnant, right? Because I always thought, well, I don't want to buy a breastfeeding top that allows me to have a bump at the same time. I know you have a bump and very naturally still have a bump once you've given birth, but it doesn't last forever. Um, And I want to be breastfeeding for kind of maybe up to a year. So why would I buy a top that will have me pregnant and breastfeeding at the same time? So obviously it can happen, but It'll be really interesting. Anyway, so keep an eye on my Instagram page. I'm going to post everybody's answers so you can all see the varying different points of view on periods and breastfeeding, all that kind of stuff. And also, um, oh, I think Amandine's waking up. I am covering the topic of growth charts. So not pregnancy growth charts, but post-birth growth charts for your baby. So keep an eye on Instagram and there might be some useful information on there if these have been questions that you're asking yourself anyway have a lovely week i am really going to leave you there now because i've turned a half an hour podcast into a 45 minute podcast sorry all right catch up with you next week bye